0: No, no. Real, um, real, yeah. real Bills.
1: Real Bills. Okay. So, after the afternoon session we're moving on to the Real Bills Doctrine of our great man, Adam Smith.
0: What well, I have to say about Real Bills is very, very central to our course and it keeps coming back In uh, future courses as well. So, I'd like to put it into context a little bit so that you will see why it is so important. The very central thing is the gold standard. This is our greed, our Um, the center of our efforts to rectify so much of the ills of the world if you could go back to the world standard however the real bills are at least the second most important thing in the following sense the gold standard is not able to function without a clearing house. By clearing house I mean uh, figuratively speaking a system whereby the the payments which occur in society lots of payments, different parties and so on the the payments are cleared because only a relatively small Portion of all the payments are actually cleared by transferring gold from one party to another, as most payments, as they and requests for payments, come into the clearing house, and uh, say two banks are representing a lot of. Payments to be made, and payments to collect from different parties. And what they do is they only settle the net difference in gold. Most of the payments can be crossed out. This bank has a client which is paying the a client of the other bank and then a third client of this bank is paying to another a fourth client of this bank so then there's no need for actual gold transfer because the payments are cast out on the books of the of the clearing bank and uh, that's a tremendous simplification this is done on a daily basis, this was used this used to be the case in New York City where it was one of the largest markets at the time in the 1920s, early 1930s there was, a new, there was the New York Clearing House. it was maintained by all the member banks of the area and this clearing house did have a vault in gold, the in gold, gold coins. So, at the close of the business, every single business day, the representatives of the banks appeared and they presented checks, and they cast out a lot of the uh, uh, payments because of uh, this. Uh, feature of cross payments and there was a net which could be settled by crossing down and this balance was settled by physically shifting the gold or gold coins from one vault belonging to one bank to another vault belonging to the other. This was done on a daily basis, believe it or not. as late as, say, 1930. This was still the case. That's how the banks cleared. Uh, In other words, there was was much less gold than otherwise would have been if every single payment was supposed to be settled in gold. And without that feature of clearing, the gold standard wouldn't have uh, been operational. It would have seized up. Uh, especially at a busy time such as Christmas, pre Christmas shopping, the amounts of payments so huge that there was physically nothing enough gold to sort of, there's no need for that because I have just explained. And uh, I usually uh, say that, and Philip quoted me on that. today as I was very pleased to say that this uh, uh, little idea stuck, and you remembered it, and I hope you will too. That the gold standard, without a clearing house, would collapse. During the first Christmas shopping season, because of that uh, lack of flexibility, adjusting to uh, a surge of demand for means of payment, followed by a relative collapse of demand, which happens usually in January, and level of payments is very, very low. So what the real bill does is, it's, or rather the bill market does, is this clearing function for the gold standard. Uh, Adam Smith described this process in terms of a great flow a great river which is emptying into the ocean. He was talking about social circulating capital. This is that part of the goods society is producing which is going to be consumed relatively soon. In fact during the current season of the year, before the season changes. All these goods are slowly or fast, but in any case they are moving day after day after day getting closer and closer to the consumer. When they are within earshot and earshot means 91 days sounds like an arbitrary number but it's not it's the length of the seasons so when these goods are within earshot of the consumer earshot of the consumer then their character changes they become very liquid these goods moving to the consumer because can hardly be questioned that they will be picked up by the consumer. I mean, the flour which will be baked into bread, and the bread consumed by the consumer, this is a fact that so much bread is consumed every single day by the consumers. So that part of the social circulating capital, which is uh, which has the shape of flour to be picked up by the baker and the baker is making the bread and the bread is consumed is a foregone conclusion. There is no risk involved in handling that part of the social uh, circulating capital. Just to, Compare it with something, uh, and I give you an extreme example, uh, something as a surgical instrument used by surgeons operating on patients. There is a market for that too. But if you handle that type of merchandise, and there to be sure there are people who have to handle that. Uh, there is a considerable risk involved, because how do you know how many of these instruments will be purchased during the year? Or there is another danger too. You have an inventory of surgical instruments and then some improvement takes place some surgical procedures which call for a different instrument and they are discontinuing the use of the old one and you are uh, you are sitting with an inventory which you may not be able to sell so there are all kinds of risks involved if you handle some special merchandise. This is just one extreme example but there are many others where there is uh, risk and I think uh, this is the mistake which a lot of Austrians even today make that they assume that the risk is evenly distributed for all those people who handle the merchandise moving to the consumer. And this is just not the case. There are certain types and this is what we call social circuit in capital uh, concept created by Adam Smith, which uh, the risk is minimal. I mean, I agree there is risk in life. Even stepping on a street is risky in the sense that uh, brick could fall on your head and you drop dead. I mean, there is a risk. Or hit by a car or a streetcar or a bus. But uh, we are talking about differences of degrees of risk. And I think Adam Smith has the merit of pointing this out, that the great flow of social circuit in capital that part of the consumer goods which are certainly to be certain to be consumed, first of all removed from the market and consumed by the consumers so they will not get back into circulation. Once they are consumed it's like water from a river emptying into the ocean. There's fresh water and once it reaches the ocean it becomes Salt water, seawater, which is completely different, ecologies, different, different types of fish strive in fresh water and salt water. This is the kind of metamorphosis which is taking place in the flow of goods to the consumer markets. The social circuit in capital is dissipated in consumption and that means as you approach that point the important thing for us is the reduction in the level of risk so the certainty takes place of of, uh, risk and uh, therefore the way to finance the movement of that uh, mass of goods the social circulating capital is very different from the way of financing the movement of other types of goods. All the others are just piled together and you have to study them separately. But the social circulating capital, the movement of social circulating capital, is financed by real bills and literally bills because what is involved is that there is to take a typical example there is the retail merchant who has ordered certain consumer goods from the wholesale merchant and the wholesale merchant delivers the goods to the retail merchant and bills him, writes a bill telling him how much of this, that, that item he has delivered and what is the price. But it never ever happens, and I'm talking about the situation under the gold standard, that the wholesale merchant expects to be paid in cash, in gold. He doesn't expect that because this has been the merchant custom since time immemorial that merchants who do constant dealings with one another, like the wholesale supplier and the retail uh, merchant, they extend a credit which is uh, at the outer limit as long as the season. The season of the year, whether it's spring or summer, Or fall or winter, because usually different types of food is being consumed during different seasons. Uh, Also uh, different types of clothes and uh, the demand for fuel is very different in the summer from that in the winter. Uh, There is need for fuel in the summer too, to be sure, but the winter is usually uh, calling for a lot of fuel to be burned to heat the buildings, so accordingly the type of merchandise which is being delivered and sold to the ultimate consumer is going to change with the seasons and that is the reason why there's an outer time limit. Real bills uh, mature in at most 91 days, which is the same as 13 weeks or 3 months, uh, the length of a quarter, the season of the year. A lot of people ask questions, well, is that an arbitrary thing? And I would say, I don't think so, because You can try if you want to. You are an innovative mind, you have an innovative mind, and you are a retailer, and you might just ask the wholesaler to bill you for 180 days for a change and see what happens. Well, what happens to this real bill, the 91-day bill, is that the Wholesale merchant is not going to sit on this bill and wait for 90 days to cash it in. No. He, is, he has his own suppliers, right? It could be a producer, could be a shipper from another continent, whatever it is. He can take that bill which has been accepted by the retail merchant who signs it and say I accept and signs with a date and he gives it back to the wholesaler and the wholesaler doesn't sit on this bill waiting to collect but uh, when he gets his next shipment from his own suppliers he can take this bill and use it as if it was cash and the uh, supplier of the wholesale merchant will accept this. He knows the the signatures, he knows that this is a genuine uh, paper, there is no counterfeiting involved, involved. and he knows that these goods are in demand. If there is any change in the demand, the supplier would know. And then he might just question that there is too much of this type of (coughs) merchandise represented on the bill. So then he would um, uh, take exception and say look I don't like this bill. You just try to take it to a bank or somewhere else give me another one. This could happen. But as a rule there is no question these bills do circulate. Now you have an innovative mind and you think you can outsmart this uh, very old merchant custom of 91 day limit at the outside, and you say you want to have 180 day bills. And then you try, and the wholesaler may sympathize with you and say, oh, I'm going to try to," But then, somewhere along the line, somebody will reject that bill. They will say, no, that's not reasonable. I'm not going to take that kind of risk. Who knows what's going to happen? during the next uh, quarter. This quarter is fine, but you are talking about the quarter after that. There could be all kinds of changes in demand, in conditions, and that's not reasonable to assume that risk, and, and therefore this bill will simply not circulate. So that's my answer if you say this is ridiculous, 91 days, you just got it uh, from your thumb, this is unreasonable. Well the answer is, well that's the way the market operates, the market will not uh, provide the same facility for bill circulation, what you have for the 91 day bill. Because 180, there are bills like that, and I'm sure when it comes to surgical equipment, uh, very fine products made of the finest possible steel or other metals, uh, when when they are delivered to the outlet, to the retailer, then uh, probably those are 180 days or, or longer. However, they, those bills do not trade in the same bill market because the same bill market will reject them regardless of the quality and all the good properties of these products for the simple reason that they not move fast enough. The 91-day uh, the, uh, bills move just fast enough so that you can see the ultimate consumer picking up that product uh, within 91 days, and that product has been removed from the market, and the uh, bill which covered the movement of that part of the social circuit in capital uh, has been satisfied, and uh, the cycle of providing the consumer with consumer goods is complete. But there are a lot of other very important things like uh, items, consumer items, which uh, move by nature of things uh, much more slowly and uh, that's unfortunate. You might say that's not right, this is not just, but uh, who are we to... Uh, quarrel with the facts of life this is just a fact of life that the market will not accept them as it will accept the 91 day bills which are uh, drawn on goods and by the way the bill will itemize just what uh, consumer goods are involved, how much uh, what uh, type of uh, Transportation is involved if it's in, uh, if it's shipped from overseas, then even the name of the boat is mentioned, and uh, insurance documents have to be attached in order for this commercial bill to be complete. Another name for real bill is uh, bill of exchange, and uh, the origin of Bill of Exchange is lost somewhere in antiquity, but the revival came during the... uh, uh, towards the end of the Middle Ages, when the Italian cities, such as uh, port cities, such as Genoa and uh, uh, Venice and some others, have standardized these bills and, and uh, have a very great expansion of trade followed. And uh, we have the records of these because uh, they kept very accurate records, these bankers or bill traders, we may call them. And it's a very interesting uh, study to go back to those records and see what kind of merchandise they covered and uh, how the uh, character of this merchandise may have changed. And uh, so there's a great deal of evidence. There's no guesswork here. This is a fact you can demonstrate. And this also has to studied together with what we call commercial banking. The banking business has two great uh, types. One is commercial banking, which is based on the trade of r- r- real bills, and investment banking, which has to do with financing the trade of other goods, which do not move fast enough and still are very crucial for society, and and the two should not be mixed. But in, in this discussion, I'd like to emphasize this, and I'd like to ask you to remember this, that real bill circulation is possible even in the complete absence of banks. Why? Because, as I have just explained, real bills do circulate on their own wing and under their own power. You do not have to have banks to push this type of paper. This type of paper flies on its own wings and under its own power. Now. Admittedly, banks do bring something to the enterprise. Uh, for one thing, these bills are not ideal for circulation because they are made out for all the, usually very large amounts, but odd amounts, not ending with zero, say $1,000 or 10000 or even $100,000, but odd amounts depending on the, uh, if you add the merchandise which they cover, there is a figure coming out and it's no rounding because you just have to pay that amount at maturity, so that is one disadvantage, that no standard denomination and therefore when you use it for payment you have to make adjustment for the last few digits which you make in small change or some other way or just write uh, that okay, you are short or you have overpaid and carry the uh, balance on the books this is uh, what they do uh, more often than not but that's one handicap, uh, one disadvantage uh, Uh, It can be overcome, it doesn't cause any kind of uh, setback in the circulation of bills, but it's an inconvenience, admittedly. When banks come in, they issue their own banknotes, that's always in standard amounts. And then uh, you don't have to do those those side calculations, Because you just count out the banknotes and then you multiply the number of them with the face value, and you have the amount right there, and then easy calculation. So that is one disadvantage. The other disadvantage is the appearance of a discount, but it's a blessing, also a blessing in disguise. What happens is that when a bill changes hands, so say the wholesale merchant passes on this bill to the supplier of one of the things the wholesale merchant handles uh, in payment for the latest supply, then it's not the face value which is going to play a role, but, but a discounted face value. Uh, to be precise, the face value of the bill will be discounted by the number of days remaining to maturity. This bill has a maturity somewhere in the future, less than 91 days. and At that time, the face value will be paid, but we are not yet there, so if you want to use it for payments now, that's fine, but then the supplier of the wholesale merchant is going to discount that face value by the number of days. And there's also a discount rate involved which we have to discuss separately, how the discount rate uh, uh, is determined and how it may change, upwards or downwards. And also a very, very important topic is the relationship between the discount rate and the interest rate. The two are very, very different and not to be confused. I'm sorry to say Ludwig von Mises made the mistake of suggesting that the discount rate is just the short-term interest rate. Well, it is not. And I'm sorry to contradict Mises because I respect him very Great man, in fact, I am willing to say is the greatest economist of the 20th century. but he made a mistake here. The, and, and uh, he made the mistake in spite of some other authors, lesser known authors, uh, especially in France, there was a school, and, and the, the French economists, did not make the same mistake. So Mises must have been aware of the controversy and he took the side deliberately and said, no, no, it's, there's no difference between interest rate and in discount country." In spite of a school which already existed, I mentioned France, and Shara Rist is an author which I can quote. He wrote a book on the history of economics and money and all that and he is pointing out to you all those authors who have studied this question and came to the conclusion that this country is an entirely different phenomenon from the rate of interest. The forces which shaped this country are entirely different from the forces which shaped the interest rate and the, the sources and, uh, of payment and, and the use of them and, and everything that has to do with this type of debt. There are simply two types of credit by and large is to simplify the picture. One type of credit has to do with savings and the measure of efficiency is the rate of interest and the other type of uh, credit has to do with consumption. And there the, me- the measurement of efficiency is the discount rate. So because consumption is different from saving, <laughs> in a sense just the opposite of saving, uh, therefore the whole theory covering the discount rate, on the one hand covering this, has to be different these two theories are just different, like it or not they are different and this unfortunately uh, is lost in Mises' economics, monetary economics and uh, and I just uh, had no choice but criticize Mises on this account and try to uh, explain why this is indeed the case and why Mises was wrong on that particular issue. But of course there are those who represent Mises, uh, right or wrong, <laughs> which uh, is, is very unfortunate and it has the, uh, the uh, danger in our present situation that it could be that the monetary system collapses in a matter of few years. And then perhaps by As luck may have it, uh, uh, a well-informed, enlightened President of the United States makes a decision that it's time to go back to the gold standard. And if he listens to the Ludwig von Mises Institute, the type of advice they are dispensing, then he will go for uh, what they call 100% gold standard which is a very bad misnomer, there's nothing 100% about it and in fact it's not a viable system for the reasons we have already explained and they put that gold standard into effect only to find that it will collapse and then you see once this happens the gold standard will suffer another setback and it may take another hundred years before anybody will have the courage of saying a good word about it. Give a dog a bad name, might as well shoot it. This is the case with the gold standard too. They gave gold standard a bad name and for uh, almost a hundred years the gold standard was out of favor. Right now there is a little bit of hope, a ray of hope. the standards standard may just come back because the present system will have such a bad collapse that people will wake up and realize that but if you don't do it the right way then uh, you know the, the, we are really in for more trouble and that's why I say this is just so important for us to do this enlightening information, educational type of uh, work that the bill market is an integral part of the gold standard. Two cannot be divorced, cannot be separated, because if you do, then it, it is no longer a viable system. And I use this as a proof that and this is where I meet complete uh, negative attitude on the part of the uh, Ludwig von Mises Institute. Uh, my point is this, don't talk about banks, bad banks and crooked bankers and the rest of it, because real bill circulation is a fact of life even in the complete absence of banks. Adam Smith is talking about such a situation that there are no banks but there is a circulation and Mises is aware of that. He makes explicit reference to uh, Manchester, the city of Manchester in Britain and Lancashire and uh, there were two great areas, the industrial era the beginning of the industrial era uh, one had to do with the wool industry and the other had to do with the cotton industry. And of course cotton had to be imported but even wool, I think, by and large. Originally the sheep were uh, uh, bred in Britain but uh, very soon the market became so large that Australia had to come in and uh, imported wool uh, was part of that market. No, I forget. Lancashire was uh, Lancashire was wool, wool, yeah, wool? yeah. and the Manchester, Manchester cotton was cotton. I think so. Uh, yeah,
1: I've never been there, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't venture oh. that far. Uh, on. <laughs>
0: uh, well, can you? To shed a little more light on my product. Well, anyhow, there, there are two areas. One, the wool industry. You see, the wool had to be uh, cleaned or whatever, prepared for, and then it, it was dyed, and then there was spinning uh, uh, the thread, and then the weaving, and then, uh, you know, it was delivered to the cloth. Uh, the cloth, the, the, the tailor, and then he made the cloth, and it found a way. So that was one huge industrial area in Britain. And the other huge industrial area was the imported cotton in bales. They had to be, again, uh, cleaned and prepared for further uh, processing, which involved, again, spinning and weaving, and, uh, and in this case, I guess, uh, Dying and uh, various other things, several steps. So in both cases, there were real bills. passed on um, okay, the spinner was at the, say, at the bottom round of the leather. And then he delivered the yarn to the weaver. The weaver wove the cloth and then passed it onto the plot here and that was one huge bill market the tradesmen passing on paying bills, all these bills cleared in 91 days that was the, say, the cotton and the similar one for the wool, the processing of the wool making it ready for consumption and uh, Mises, in Human Action, does acknowledge that in the Manchester area, before the Bank of England opened its branch office there. the, The date is not important, but there was a time when there was no branch, and during that period of time, these bills, according to Mises himself, did circulate on their own wings and under their own power. So if they could do it once, they can do it again. Suppose we have a financial crisis now which will wipe out all banks and nobody in his right mind will start another bank because the experience of people are so bad that they will not accept them. They will reject them. Uh, uh, Rudy, you quoted in your book he Bre- says uh, robbing a bank is not nearly the same crime as starting a bank. <laughs> that, that time may come back. And does it mean that we'll have to starve because no baker will bake us back? No, it will not, because real bills will take over, and they will circulate and they will finance all the consumer needs. So. This is what I've been trying to uh, tell the uh, uh, business Institute people that, look, you keep referring to the banks how bad they are, how uh, uh, fractional reserve, how bad fractional reserve banking is and all that, but this is completely irrelevant. Because what I am talking about is a real bill which will circulate even if there is no one single central bank in the world and not one single commercial bank in the world. Because the world is not going to starve just because there are no banks. The world is going to continue consuming and functioning as normally as possible. uh, I I got nowhere, because they will still start talking about fractional banks and this and that and that, just shifting the focus away to the central issue that real bills do exist independently of the banking system. They are financing consumption, and that's a different function altogether for financing uh, long-term projects home construction or construction of factories or any kind of uh, activity where credit is needed, where credit is falling due in more than 91 days. And, and uh, I have not been successful, I'm sorry to say, in, in um, uh, uh, making them debate the issue on, on these terms. You know, I mean, I'm quite willing to debate the good and bad aspects of banking. That's not it, but to this particular issue, it's irrelevant because because you won't get to the bottom of the problem of real bills if you keep uh, shifting the uh, focus to banks, and and that's why I am. I'm telling you right now, right here, that in order to understand that great debate which has relevance to our problems, because the problem is what happens if the monetary system collapses? How to get out of this terrible uh, disaster? Because that will definitely be a disaster, make no mistake about it. And the answer is Real bill circulation, but in order to uh, to be prepared for that day, one has to understand the issues. And as I say, uh, that is unfortunately even within the sound money camp, of which certainly the Institute is a part, and my so-called new Austrian. School of Economics. I invented that name on purpose because I want to emphasize that we are new in a definite sense. We are separating ourselves from the uh, American Austrians, if I may call them that, uh, because I think a very important part of the discussion is how to finance the revival of world trade. This this collapse which uh, we keep talking about here is basically a collapse of world trade which will cause a, a, a terrible unemployment problem and uh, uh, closing of factories and production facilities and generally destruction of capital because once you close a factory it it represents uh, capital destruction. Reopening the (coughs) factory a month or a few months later is not going to recreate the conditions which existed before closing because uh, once the factory suspends operation there is a a quantitative uh, Disappearance of capital, destruction of capital, which cannot be uh, recreated by reopening the... That's another question, but just keep it in mind that uh, we are the, the, the basis of our uh, discussion why this is a terrible problem is because capital is destroyed. Normally it's eroded, but now it's destroyed. So that's the problem, and that's the educational problem we have. We try to convince the world that the gold standard in itself, per se, is not the answer. It's gold standard plus the bill market. Um, And if I have five more minutes or so, I would like to say something about the demand. For bills and here I'm, I mean demand, which at the first blush have nothing to do with the production process. You see, uh, our position is that the real there is a uh, an almost inexhaustible demand for real bills in society, not just those traders, the spinner, the weaver, and so on who handle the merchandise, have a demand for it, to finance their operations. But complete outsiders uh, also. And the reason is that there is the need for liquid uh, funds in society. For instance, you have a commitment to make a payment within three months. It could be uh, purchase of a house, you uh, have signed a contract, a transfer of title, but there is a date of closing out the deal, uh, which is in the future say three months. This has nothing to do with consumption, it is just a transfer of property of uh, durable value. You could think of other examples of your high ticket uh, consumer production goods, whatever. Uh, but Buying a house is as good as an example as any. So you are given three months by your contract to come up with the price of the house. So you, in the meantime you are liquidating certain assets selling stocks or bonds or what have you and uh, the question what are you going to do with the money which you do not need today but need three months from now so you sell bonds, stocks, maybe real estate as well Uh, what will you do? and the answer is in almost all the cases your preference is to put that money in real bills. Because real bills are the most liquid uh, other than gold itself. Uh, But gold is, let's say, uh, an asset which yields no return, whereas the bill uh, yields a return. The discount itself is the mean. It means that the real bill is increasing in value a little bit every single day up until maturity date when it reaches its maximum but since it's an appreciating value its liquidity is the highest of all assets you can think of with the exception of gold. But gold uh, gives you no So you you wouldn't, in buying a house, you wouldn't uh, invest this money you raise in order to have the lump sum you have to pay over at the closing out date in the form of gold. That would not be reasonable. You would rather uh, buy bills which mature either on that date or a little bit later. Uh, you can be sure that this means of payments will be acceptable to the seller of the house. There's just no question that it won't. Because the seller of the house is in the same boat. He realizes that the best way of Uh, making these short-term payments, or these payments mature in a relatively short term, the best means is real bills. So there is a demand. Now, banks, uh, whether fractional reserve or not, I would say if a bank uh, keeps its reserves in the form of real bills, to the tune of say forty percent of its assets, and the rest in gold in the form of gold, it's a very uh, liquid bank, and I would not call it a fractional reserve because these bills are maturing in the gold in the form of gold coins. So at maturity, they are payable in gold. They are not payable in other paper. They certainly are not allowed to be rolled over. Uh, if if the drawer of the bill of maturity fails to pay the gold coins, the face valued gold coins, then his name will be listed in the black book and he will never be able to sign another real bill in his life and even his children may not be because on this black book they are blacklisted and this type of uh, default is so serious or was considered so seriously that you have said you ha- have given up all hope of ever starting a business under your, your own name because of that default. So uh, this is a better guarantee than the Federal Reserve the United States or the US Treasury can ever give you because these people some of them are scions of uh, merchant classes having a history of uh, families, merchant families having a history of several generations, maybe a, a couple hundred years, are not going to risk their name to be exposed to this kind of abuse. Somebody somewhere in the family uh, issued a, a bad bill which was not paid in gold upon maturity. So this is a fact and therefore uh, the uh, demand for real bills is very very high. So if a bank ever experiences a run which means that gold is being demanded in exchange for its site liabilities such as banknotes or bank deposits and the bank experiences a depletion of its gold, uh, which threatens that they might have to close uh, the door of the bank at least temporarily. Uh, they can avoid this if they liquidate uh, real bills from portfolio, which they can carry, which they obviously carry. Now, you might say, well, what if the other bank is in the same boat because there's a bank run on all the banks? Well, my answer is that (laughs) when one bank experiences a run, there must be banks somewhere in the world which are overflowing with gold. They have a surplus of gold. And they are scrambling to exchange their gold for good paper, good real bills because that's an earning asset, and the real bill is the very best earning asset a bank can have. And therefore the banks which are overflowing with gold are going to bid in the bill market for this paper. So the bank experiencing a run just has to make sure that it will have good paper which will be acceptable to the other bank and then he can produce the gold and paste. So in other words I don't buy that argument that there could be a general liquidity crisis like the world had in 2008. You know, that all bank, the banks would not lend each other overnight cash. That's what was the case. Two banks in the city of London, uh, they couldn't balance their book on the, days, uh, on, on the same day, so one bank said the other, okay, I owe you, but uh, tomorrow I will settle. The other bank said, sorry, I don't trust you. You may have a lot of those to- toxic papers, and uh, I don't know what kind of trick you may consider to pull, uh, pull on me. And the banks did not have the confidence in one another to lend overnight. Now, under this gold standard I'm talking about, and let's call it an unadulterated gold standard, in which the earning assets of the banks, of the commercial banks, consisted only real bills, but no mortgage, no. treasury paper no bond no stock just just real bills maturing in 90 days on verifiable merchandise which is needed in consumption and it's guaranteed that people will eat tomorrow so they will buy the bread and buy uh, the other food stuff uh, you know on which the, the real bill was drawn Under these circumstances, that would not happen. The crisis did happen in 2008 because the banks uh, in pursuit of uh, excess, excess profits, they started buying mortgages. They never, ha- they didn't have any business to be in mortgages. Mortgage is a different type of banking altogether, investment banking. We are talking about commercial banking, that commercial bankers should not touch a, a mortgage with a ten-foot pole. And that's the, the fact. But once they violate these rules then it starts snowballing, and eventually, perhaps, will happen. But as long as they stick to uh, the principles of uh, commercial banking, uh, bill market is there as a source of liquidity, and it will uh, assist banks to get out of temporary payments difficulties. All right, I uh, sign off and. Uh, uh, coffee break? Coffee break. And we continue with the discussion of this particular issue in half an hour. Uh, one
2: small comment. Philip sent me this bit of information. Before World War I, the German Reich Bank had a, a rule of operation to their commercial banks. One-third of all assets in gold and two-thirds in real bills. That was it. So yeah. Where did you take that up, Philip, if I may ask you? Mm-hmm. It was from Adam
3: Ferguson's book, *The Death of Money*. Well. I think it's *The
1: Death of Money*. Now, when money dies, when money dies, thank you, the Weimar Republic experience.
3: No. Huh? Now Ferguson isn't that
0: paradigm. <laughs> no, Adam. <Ferguson>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay thank you.
1: open the floor floor to questions or discussion Or discussions I think um, it 's it's a good point to remember that um, a loan is not necessarily liquidated by the sale of whatever the loan was used for you know so when you when you take a loan um, as let 's say BOAC to buy an airliner you know you you don't liquidate that loan by selling the aircraft. The loan is liquidated by sales of tickets, you know, uh, which is completely unrelated to the actual sale of the plane. A real bill is always liquidated by the turning of a good.
0: That's why we call it... How do we call it another, using another word?
1: Self-liquidating. Uh,
0: the credit is called self-liquidating. But the credit involved in selling airplanes is not self. Not
1: not self-liquidating the necessarily.
0: Sale of uh, <coughs> houses is not self-liquidating. And, uh,
1: mortgages. A mortgage
0: is not self-liquidating. There was a saying in in Lombard Street in London, when the bankers was a real profession, which today it isn't, because they are just a bunch of speculators. <laughs> but the saying was that the easiest profession in the world is that of a banker. Why? Well, because the only thing the banker has to do is to be able to distinguish between a real bill and a mortgage very simple. <laughs> and they couldn't do that because we had this subprime crisis. They treated, they treat, you know, that, that idea when they took these mortgages and had a pile of them, stapled them together and said, this is now, Uh, 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 security. They call it securitization of mortgages. And whether a junk is in this file is nobody's concern. The main thing is that the bank sells this liability as quickly, get it off its hands as quickly as possible. And the devil will take the hindmost. That's all. But That at one point this whole system will explode, this is just incredible, isn't it? That they had the whole legal structure of countries and so on, and this type of activity was allowed. When we do have the proper knowledge to be able to distinguish between uh, liquid security and an illiquid mortgage. A mortgage is, by its nature, one of the most illiquid uh, assets because b- brick and mortar has been sunk into something, and by that very fact that they've been sunk into a structure, this is no longer liquid. And and we suggest that just by a smart banker would put a pile of this together and stapled it and say here it is your security, take it. Not only it was allowed, it was encouraged. People like Greenspan, they thought this was marvelous because the consumer was up in that, up to here. But now, you say, we liquidate your home equity. You have paid into your mortgage so much, so we have a formula here, we liquidate it. And you can spend it as if it was cash. What you have uh, sunk into brick and mortar. It's so crazy, and this is what they said. Mm. And then they wonder what has sent them. We are surprised. So well, that's, you know, we didn't did, just did No, you did have seen this coming. All right.
3: Yeah.
1: I think Mark was for Mark.
3: Just know.
4: a very short question. Could you uh, name an example of, of real bills today? I mean, are there around still? A practical
0: example. Um, no, no real bills. No. Today. I
1: think the nearest thing is short-term commercial paper. You know, but that again, that is not uh, the same. No. Not necessarily, no.
0: And, and there is a reason for that. There is a, a very good reason why real bills could not exist uh, under a paper money system, and uh, and that's a. F- philosophical reason but I think there you can confirm this by actual experience. The idea that here's a real bill and this will mature into euros or dollar bills, Federal Reserve notes is preposterous. It's just preposterous because when you say it matures into it assumes that what it matures into is a higher quality instrument.
3: <laughs> I
0: mean, how is it that a, a, an instrument matures into a lower quality? But as it is, if there were real bills today, and I claim there aren't, but if there were, they would be the highest quality, much, much better quality than Federal Reserve Notes or Euro, Notes or yens or what have you. Much better quality. If they existed in the sense they existed prior to World War I. That in other words, they would circulate. Yeah? And I'm saying that there are no such thing, not because there's any prejudice against them or the government would stop them if they appeared, no simply because nobody would take it the same way as they did when they were gold uh, convertible at maturity prior to World War I. Nobody would accept them in circulation with the same ease. I'm not saying that it would never ever be accepted because obviously uh, there could be special circumstances when uh, Two people who are trading with one another uh, have make a bilateral agreement and say, "I accept your paper for delivery." And uh, whether you give me a collateral circuit or not is another question. But I do accept. Okay, that there are there might be such exceptions. But when I say general circulation, I assume that without much fuss, the party which is offered this in payment, will accept it. He will not accept it if he finds something wrong with the construction of the bill or takes exception to some of the signatures that, you know, I don't trust that guy. But generally speaking, if there is no special reason for rejecting, the bill will be accepted in payment. And This was so general before uh, World War I, that it didn't even occur to people that a paper bearing two or three good signatures. I say three because very often there was an acceptance house which made it its business to pay maturing papers, to accept them in other words. And then they did the collection, which is a specialty in itself. So these acceptance houses specialized in the in, uh, in collection, collecting the uh, maturing real bills. So a, a real bill usually carried three sig- signatures, three good signatures. One was the drawer, the other was the uh, drawee, and the third one was the acceptor. The drawer was, in my example, the wholesale merchant. The drawee was the retail merchant to whom delivery was made, and usually a bank or acceptance house was a third signature uh, with an address that the, the payment on uh, upon maturity will be made at such and such an address at this bank or acceptance house. You see. And on maturity, You, would <clears throat> if you were the last one who at the moment of maturity had uh, this bill, would take it to the acceptance house. No questions paid. You were paid. Okay. So with three good signatures it was better than a Bank of England note or a US Federal Reserve note or Treasury bill or what have you.
2: Yes? Uh, let me just add that the laws on real bills are still in existence. They have not been repealed. Um, you could perfectly still draw a bill in this very same way as it was done before. Nothing will stop it. You may get the odd look but it can still be done, Quite perfectly possible But it's another
0: question, whether it would circulate or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, you forget circulation. <laughs> so it's useless. Because the purpose of drawing a bill is not that you have evidence that money is owed to you. The purpose is that this is the most liquid instrument, which will circulate, literally. On its own wings and under its own power. It's important. There, there is also a little um,
2: space where you could, where the um, drawer would have or could possibly sign. And I'm not sure about the words in English, but in, in Belgium we call it "aval," A-V-A-L. And if he signs twice, so there's a f- double signature of uh, this person that he would stand as surety
0: with his personal goods. The same drawer, yes. in this case, the, uh, wholesale the wholesaler. wholesaler. If, if he signs on the same um,
2: document, on the same bill, and he signs in the little block, aval, I'm not sure what the English word is, he, he is that personally liable always oldest cousin goes Never
0: mind, he's the director of the company. Uh huh. Yeah. I I uh, haven't <coughs> met it, but I can see the reasoning behind. The reasoning is <clears throat> that today there are so many unlimited, uh, well, sorry, so many limited liability firms that you can almost take it for granted that the next firm you are going to do business with is a limited liability. Now, the disadvantage of the limited liability firm is that a director of that company is liable in case of default or winding up that particular firm only to the extent of his ownership of the stock of the shares of his firm. But his personal wealth is untouchable. Sorry, limited liability. That's none of your business. But I, I have robbed the company, milked it until it ran dry, is forgiven because I am limited liability. Now this wasn't the and, and of course oh Practically all banks in the world today are limited liability banks, which means the directors of the bank are responsible only to the extent of their ownership of the stock or the share issued by the bank, which which is really nothing because in this Day at the age of trillions of dollars of new debt being issued <coughs> like that, uh, is no, no assurance. So I am very uh, grateful for this example which Peter gave us, that at least in one country, Belgium, there is a way to give extra assurance to the holder of the bill. And this is the case when the drawer, in this case the wholesale merchant, signs the bill twice. First in his capacity as the drawer of the bill, and secondly, he will forego his limited liability and he will open himself to unlimited liability so that in case there, uh, the firm is liquidated, and not enough assets are found to cover the existing liability. Then, the directors of the firm will have to answer by their own personal wealth. And, and I, I admire this this feature. I'm not aware. Of other countries having that, but certainly it's interesting to know that in the case of Valetrians. This has been the case for a long time? Right. I have used this about
2: uh, 15 years ago from, um, once. It was in the setup where um, there was a, a jeweler um, who bought watches from the company where I worked for, and he owed, well he didn't pay on due time, Mm -hmm. and he accumulated quite a debt to the company. He was the biggest customer um, of the company, obviously. (laughs) He became one. Um, So I was given the task by the director to collect Mm And I knew this was the biggest friend of the big boss. <laughs> so what can I do? You know, I can't phone him up and hound him down. So I took a little trick and I made him sign a bill. And I, when he was in my office, he was saying how we had a good holiday in his um, second holiday near the sea and it was his house. And I said, well, really? Aha! Okay, well, we'll arrange something with a bill, and that will occur in 30 days. And I knew he would default on this bill, but I made him sign for a vow. And um, obviously he defaulted again, which now the, the company has then the chance to enter on a black book with the bank, so um, that, would, that that is bad enough because it's a matter of public record. Um, I gave them this very sneaky document to to the auditors with the recommendation: please, please collect, because now it becomes a liquid document. You do not need to pass through a judge for judgment on default. You can actually liquidate it. Directly with a with a bailiff or a sheriff or, or anybody <coughs> going and collecting, and attached goods. Now um, that was the intention. So I thought I did my duty, um, but somehow the <coughs> company director was not so happy with <laughs> me doing this to his best friend. Yeah.
1: Did you get the money?
2: I don't care, I was told to go.
3: Um.
1: (laughs) Louis, did you have a question?
3: It was more um, at the time a comment, or an observation um, on how our um, individual responsibility has eroded over time in all of this. Um, Professor made me realize how uh, the, the, the social role of real bills, it's a society it's a social phenomenon, mm. just like how money arose in the first place, was a natural societal phenomenon, it's not uh, it's not the state anymore, uh, it wasn't uh, announced that this is money now, mm. and at that Time, I guess you didn't have fund managers, you didn't have people managing other people's money. You manage your own money. Mm-hmm. You, might, you might have trusted the banks for savings, you know, if you wanted to do that, but there was a whole industry that developed in the 20th century, a whole industry that didn't exist before, that uh, was based on managing other people's money, because you were talking about uh, the toxic waste and the securitization of mortgages, mm-hmm. And the, I mean nobody in their right mind, if they, if they didn't have any government guarantee or if they didn't have a fund manager who was making decisions for them and who could, you know, had enough uh, knowledge to understand and society talked about these things would buy this shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> professional fund managers who Um, it's not their money.
0: Um. Uh, There's a very interesting controversy brewing in the United States. I told you about this bunch of uh, mortgage papers piled together, stapled together and put on the market as uh, securities thereby lending a lot of liquidity, quite artificial and quite unjustified. But what happens under the present crisis is that a lot of mortgages are defaulted on. And suppose that you defaulted on a mortgage which is in this pile somewhere, and then the uh, bailiff comes and wants to put you out of your home. And then you tell the bailiff, show me the mortgage. Yes. Well, he cannot show the mortgage because it's stapled together. So, in other words, they, they the liability disappeared, And this works for the uh, homeowner because it protects him. I mean, not all the... Uh, courts in the United States would do that, but there are judges, you can be sure, all over who sympathize with the poor uh, homeowner who has been made subject to this crisis artificially by those who invented this securitization process, and now they just want to put them out of their home. So the judge will accept the argument that you couldn't prove your ownership, you couldn't produce your mortgage, and therefore the case is dismissed. It happened again and again. Perhaps it hasn't caught on as a wildfire, but at one point it could. The question is, who is responsible for this? Well, obviously those who invented this securitization. I I would have sympathy uh, also with the uh, homeowner who has been made the scapegoat of this. In fact, he was tricked into uh, going into debt by the system and now he is victimized and he will have to give up the house. So that will be very, very interesting to see how it turns. And I, I would uh, predict that this uh, mortgage crisis could be put aside because ultimately no court will grant the right to displace a homeowner. However, there's a much bigger threat is hanging over the mortgage market, and that's the commercial real estate. There's a much bigger problem than the home mortgages crisis, you know. And there, the excuse, then the the, the judge won't have sympathy for the. Uh, for the fellow whose commercial <coughs> property is mortgaged, and, and I think that will be devastating. So, you know, there will be t- all kinds of twists in this saga of mortgage crisis, and uh, and uh, it ultimately will will collapse because the commercial mortgage market is is much more exposed and much more vulnerable than the home. Uh, Ownership mortgage crisis. Further questions and discussion, comments? I would have liked to know if you could replace the
4: interest rate with discount rates altogether and therefore
0: um, fulfilling the religious obligation of some religions that you must not uh, charge interest. In. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I understand your question. What it, what, I,
1: I don't quite get what you mean there.
0: To, to replace the interest
4: yeah. altogether with, with discounts, so, so you, you don't lo- loan
0: them? You can't, for the very good reason that an interest contract is long term and <clears throat> discount comes in only when the maturity is 90. Yeah,
2: but but you could also have a longer maturity and therefore replacing
0: longer interests. Well, that's just playing with paper, but the substance (coughs) disappears. The substance is circulation. You know, the 91-day bill will circulate. And longer dated instruments will not circulate and I even question whether the discount, or what you call discount, would be discount proper. Because discount proper assumes circulating bill. If the bill doesn't circulate, then uh, uh, it's another thing altogether, and it's the interest. And then of course religion does come in. Now of course the the, uh, Christian religions have adopted the attitude that uh, usury is one thing and interest (coughs) formed by the market, supply and demand is another thing and therefore even the Catholic religion which uh, uh, took the longest period of time to get away from this idea of Aristotle and through uh, St. Thomas of Aquinas it was absorbed into the uh, Christian theology, that interest taking and paying also. Not only those who were sinning who charged interest, if you paid interest, you were just as bad a sinner as if you were charging interest. So there are two sides to the coin. And um, first the Protestant religions uh, Advocated relaxation of this very rigid and unreasonable rule, and then, uh, after 200 years, the Church, Catholic Church, uh, advised the confessors, Father confessors, not to uh, hold uh, penitents, uh, sinners, who. Paid or charged interest, uh, and usury was defined, and so on. So that was the end of that saga in the Christian churches. But we know today the Muslim religion considers this uh, very di- in a very different light, and in fact, uh, it's very similar to the pre-Protestant. Uh, attitude of Christianity uh, that interest is a sin and you have to pay for it in hell, you know, after you die, and so. Uh, and I, that's I have not really studied this question of the Muslim religion, but I think uh, it's you are justified in saying that if you could. Uh, introduce real bills as evidence of that, this would be allowed by Islam. Don't take my word for it because I'm not an expert and I haven't studied this, but I, I think uh, this would be a very reasonable compromise for them to make because they realize that the system is just too rigid. If you uh, Eliminate all credit, then uh, the society will suffer because they have to forego with a lot of good things, including uh, including uh, therapeutics, personal health, was providing health or medication or whatever to individuals, because that 's based on credit too, after all, various medical procedures and practices at hospitals and so on were built with credit. So the credit can do a lot of uh, charitable work as well. But uh, I think the difficulty with your argument is that if the credit doesn't circulate, then you can call it discount or whatever you want, you can call it even self-liquidating. The fact that it doesn't circulate is finished. It's just not the same. So basically, it's just fiddling the world, the world interest. Whereas, yeah.
4: I think I know the answer, sort of, but I could, would like you to uh, elaborate once more on this discount rate and why do I earn uh, under gold uh, standards what, with a more or less risk-free vehicle, uh, this discount rate, is it because of the liquidity preference, so why, why do... because it's more or less risk-free and so <coughs> it, it shouldn't be an interest in that sense.
0: I think it boils down to the fact that it's an appreciating asset. A real bill, almost linearly, without much zigzagging, increases in value up to the date of maturity. (coughs) When the face value will be the commercial value of this and it's without any further hassle it's exchangeable for gold, you see. Now, there are many other assets, and you might argue that other assets are also increasing because a bond, for example, it ultimately, on maturity, will be payable a fixed amount. So you might say that in the meantime, the bond may have a lower value now than the face value, but if uh, Maturity is only one year away, then it, through a linear graph, the value of this bond will increase until it reaches the top value, face value. The trouble is that in the case of a bond, this is going to be zigzagged. It's true that the face value is going to be approached. But there could be a day-to-day variation of several percent or even 10 percent, whatever, in the market value of this marketable bond. And it could be actually higher than the face value. This has happened. And in the case of falling interest, it's actually, it actually happens all the time. So. Uh, the problem is that it's only the real bill which approximates this ideal of a linear rise in its commercial value until it reaches the top value which is the face value without much zigzagging i mean there could be noise i'm not saying that it's absolutely but uh, risk free means that this noise is confined to a very, very narrow range.
4: But why do I earn this? Because the liquidity preference? Because uh, an yeah. ounce of gold is more worth now than in 91 days? That's right.
3: Yeah. That's
0: right. So um, it's a real, real advantage to have this risk free uh, feature. Of the instrument, which other assets, other paper assets, just do not have. Even in the best, even uh, take government bonds close enough to maturity, say one year away, they will be influenced. The best-run government with a surplus, everything is order. Financial house is complete order. Uh, market. Uh, conditions could make the value, the market value of this government bond fluctuate, so it still has the future that its value on average increases, but with a zigzag. So you buy a bond today, you might have to sell it tomorrow at a loss. This this would, I, I would say, hardly ever happen in case of if
4: and one uh, add-on question, if I may, you—I draw uh, on an analogy which you um, actually gave us in the previous in one previous session regarding the fiat money system and the, and the gold money system, where you you actually mentioned that under the fiat money system, there's much, too much. Um, um, you compare it with the uh, the circle of blood, and you said it's too much of of, of <laughs> white, uh, too little white blood cells. Exactly, and, too, and, and enough or too much red cells. You know. Oh. So under this uh, analogy, what what is real? Bills are there red cells or uh,
0: white cells or something uh, in between? Uh, a <laughs> good question. <laughs> can can you give a snap answer to that? The, so, the, yeah. the platelets.
4: <laughs> <platelets>. <laughs> so
0: the reason why I'm asking
4: is because uh, within, I concluded that under a pure gold standard, let's call it like that, the problem is you've got probably too many white cells and too, too, too little red cells which, which are circulating. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought, so and, and, and kind of the model with the real bill you have enough circulating yeah, red yeah.
0: cells and enough white cells yeah. that extinguishes. No analogy is ever perfect, you know that. This analogy is very helpful to show that the paper money system is missing something and what is it is missing is similar to white blood cells which are the, the uh, uh, fighters in the system. They're fighting the uh, various uh, bacteria or viruses or what have you, which invade the system from the outside. And they are always there. And if you don't have a good immune system, then you know what happens. You are going to die. It could be a trivial disease, such as an influenza or you know, pneumonia or what have you and of course uh, the other question is the uh, cancers because cancer there are cancer fighting white cells we know that and we know that uh, leukemia for instance is uh, a disease which has to which has something to do with the uh, Bone marrow, right which produces these white white blood cells, white blood cells. so uh, but every analogy like this is imperfect, and i uh, when I say white blood cells, I usually think of gold but uh, but it's a very good question I admit to to ask wouldn't uh, The real bill will be a complement. so it's, you know, there are white blood cells which fight cancer, white blood cells which fight uh, HIV virus, white blood cells which fight pneumonia, And, and the real bills have a very wide appeal because they fight a lot of uh, these invasive diseases it It is reasonable to me, but I haven't thought enough about that that I would commit myself to a definite answer.
2: I think it's a good analogy because the red blood cells carry the fuel, the oxygen that keeps the system going, just as the real blood cells carry the circulating social capital, the stuff people need to live. and when demand for oxygen in your body increases, there are more red blood cells created just as there are more re- uh, real bills created. And when the demand for stuff decreases, or, or spending decreases, there were, these bills go down, so they follow the demand of the civic body. And, and another thing is that if there's a physical constraint on the economy, we we're talking about grain and, and drawing bills. Well, you can only draw bills on grain that's delivered. If there's, un- if there's no more grain to
0: be delivered, no more bills can be drawn. So, the economy cannot overheat. But, uh, Rudy, are you saying that the real bill is more like a red blood cell than yes. a Yes, yeah, yeah, that, a uh, that uh, You see, that's why I, 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 I'm not so sure. I have to think more about this. This is another point of view which is very valid that the uh, real bill assumes a uh, circulation in the opposite direction. Here's the paper going. And underneath there is the underlying good going in the opposite direction. So that's like delivering the oxygen to the cells to, so that it, they can function. Um, you have to think about this more. And, uh, but in any case, there is a limit to the applicability of, of this. Yes?
3: I would add to that that uh, gold is the supervisor because it also carries the oxygen. It the yeah. disease, but also
0: carries the oxygen. I won't argue with that. That's reasonable. reason. the king. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but something is definitely missing from our present uh, uh, economic uh, circulation. This paper, which is a congenital disease of paper money. It cannot be doctored away. It's just not suitable for the purpose for which it is being used, paper money. Paper money is a form of credit, but if there's nothing more than a promise, and an irredeemable promise, because it's still a promise. A paper uh, uh, banknote is still a promise. The bank promises you to pay. $10, $100. But you see, if the producers refuse to sell the goods, then such a promise is meaningless. And that day is coming. It has been historically, without any exception, true that when they start issuing paper money, at one point, producers stop honoring. They, have, they will not sell or they will demand exorbitant prices, and and this is coming. So uh, an irredeemable promise is no promise at all. The system keeps going because of inertia. You know, people without thinking accept paper money because they have always accepted this it uh, doesn't occur to them until a monetary crisis comes or a very conspicuous jump in consumer good prices that gee, uh, what is this paper? What is behind? And there's just hot air behind the paper issued by the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve, Japan, China, all the rest. So. The mu- game of musical chairs could <laughs> come to a very ugly end.
1: I think it's worth remembering that British banknotes, and in particular Scottish banknotes, were actually real bills, you know, and they matured, and you had to go to the bank and surrender them for gold coin. You know, so what, what we have now, you know, is, is a very bastardized version, you know, banknotes were originally just an aggregation of real bills held by the bank or real bills and gold, you know, and, you to, and they had an expiry date and the bank would keep your gold for you but you'd get charged for that though, you know, so that is, that is something to remember. The banknote we have today is not the way it originally was. Okay,
0: alright,
1: any more questions? Brilliant. Thanks very much, Thank Professor.
0: Thank you very much.